0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let nothing upset you. Let nothing startle you. All things pass. God does not change. Patience wins all it seeks. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone is enough. Here we are in Mansion 6. And if you've read Mansion 6 or even opened up your book, I'm sure you realized that Mansion 6 is huge. This makes up by far the largest section of the interior castle. It covers a third of the material and 11 of the 27 chapters of the entire interior castle are in Mansion 6. Oh, there's a lot here. Um, for St. Teresa, we believe this was the period of her life between the ages of 43 and 57. Um, this is the part of the book uh, that she actually calls a treatise. Because all of a sudden, if, if you pay attention to the rhythm of the, of the whole book, you will see right now we kind of have the air of a doctrinal exposition in the Theresian way of prayer, we will be introduced to plenty of doctrine about the life of prayer, although it will be her own subjective experience, but she will constantly align it with doctrinal truth. So basically, this mansion six covers about 15 years of Teresa's life. That is something extraordinary to think about, isn't it? I think when you just pick up Mansion 6, it's overwhelming to read about all her types of prayer. As I was just rereading it, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, uh, levitations, ecstasies, swoons, piercings, it's it's so much to take in. I think it's helpful to remember it covered 15 years While this was going on, the theologians of Avila refused to endorse the authenticity of her mystical experiences. So I think it's always good to keep in mind that she had to fight to assert the truth of her experience. And of course, right here we are centuries later and she's a doctor of the church. So the church has given her resounding yes to Teresa's experiences but she had to fight to get that approved and I think sometimes when we experience things in prayer we can go through doubt about what actually happened and Saint Teresa would certainly understand. Um, This is the time in her life when the Lord told her that he would be quote a living book a living book would that he would be a living book for you and I and she also experienced the famous transpiercing of her soul, which we'll talk about. But as I said, she was viewed with suspicion. She was hounded by inquisitors. Um, she took, I would say, all the judicious language of the church and kind of turned it into almost an Augustinian confession. That's what I heard a scholar say, and I I think it's true because she was deeply moved by Augustine's confessions. Um, So she does that. um, She just has this deep compulsion to teach, and that's why she writes it all down for us. Also, in Mansion 6, this is where Teresa will receive her mission as a foundress. She will be traveling to Medina, Toledo, Malagon, Valladolid, and all of her other foundations. Also during this time, she will recruit St. John of the Cross uh, to be the founder of the Discalced Carmelites among the friars. So she wanted the men to receive what her nuns had received. Um, In reading different commentaries, I liked uh, how it was put into three characteristics. Uh, mansion six, we can look at it in three different ways. Number one, this was a time of exalted straining. She is straining. Number two, inexpressible longings for God. Number three, frequent ecstasies and raptures. All three going on at the same time. Um, She does tell us here that greater trials accompany greater favors. This is when the soul is wounded with love. Both John and Teresa always speak about the wounds of love. She does say here, if we knew ahead of time the trials that awaited us, we may not have said yes. I think everyone can relate to that i think it's pretty common to look back and say wow well, lord i said yes to something if i would have known what that really meant i wouldn't have had the courage and i think it's a real blessing from the lord that we don't always know uh theresa was the object of a lot of misunderstanding she was the object of gossip and ridicule during that time when people were talking about her making fun of her and persecuting her, she went through severe illnesses and severe physical pain. She also suffered, she tells us again, under the uh, strain of dealing with inexperienced confessors. As she would relate her prayer experiences, they would tell her she was possessed by the devil. She was even deprived of Holy Communion. She tells us that she went through long periods of feeling that she was rejected by God. I think it's important when you read all of these trials at Mansion 6, St. Teresa says, what do you do? What's the answer? And here's the answer. This is what she writes. There is no remedy. The only course is to wait for the mercy of God At unexpected moments, he gives the soul a respite." So um, I think this is encouraging. I know I have been through periods in my life where I have been waiting for the Lord. And I think it's so funny when we read about the people in the Bible who waited for the Lord and got impatient when I was younger, I used to say, that's crazy. Why didn't Abraham believe God? Well, when you wait for the Lord, For years, months, decades, you start to understand how serious it is to wait for the Lord. What that really means. And she went through that. And I love how she says, God's mercy comes at unexpected moments. And that is exactly how it is. So if you're waiting, hold on. She says, during this time, God gives graces that are very hidden. And we need those graces because she says this is a time of unbearable dryness. She talks a lot about dryness. And the soul becomes so dry, she says, that the soul doesn't think it ever had any love for God and that all its past favors are imagined. If you read about these types of experiences in the Psalms, in Lamentations, or in the book of Job, you really, really start to understand that because you think it's, it's all in the past. But, of course, it is not. She says, during this time, mental prayer is impossible. Impossible. And vocal prayer seems empty. And because of this suffering, she says, the person is noticeably gloomy and ill-tempered. So it's pretty hard to hide it from others. So she says, quote, engage in external works of mercy and hope. In the mercy of God. So really what she's saying is during this time, because the life of prayer is so arduous, do works of charity. Her interior, excuse me, her interior suffering is the purifying reality of the mystical night. She's wounded with love. She's longing for the Lord. She has a fire of love. And right here in Mansion 6, we see the pain of the fire. It's a painful and total trial, and the trial comes from within and without. Makes me think of St. Paul when he talks about that. Regarding others, the soul experiences total incomprehension and isolation. It's like nobody else can understand what you're going through. One feels abandoned by God. She says, quote, in this pain, the soul is purified by, of what otherwise would have to be purged in purgatory. And so if a soul is brave enough to stay on the journey, moving to mansion seven, a lot of pains from purgatory are taken away. She returns to the image of the moth. She says it flies higher now, longing and longing for God. The Lord calls to it, quote, his action is as quick as a falling comet. I like that image. She says, you feel the Lord calling you. You feel this wound of love. And she says, you don't understand how it happened, but you know that your wound is precious and you don't want to be cured of your wound. And so the soul, she says, dissolves with desire. She says, he who wounds it draws out the arrow. And while he's drawing out the arrow, God is drawing these very depths after him, So to put it another way, the soul is struck by a spark from God that is not enough to set the soul aflame, but it's enough to leave the soul desperate with an intense longing. Um, and she says the devil can't imitate this because the devil's pains are not delightful. Again, this is a wound of love. These are terrible longings and pains that delight the soul. Now, in chapter 29 of her autobiography, she describes what happens when this arrow is in her soul. This is what we call the transpiercing or the transverberation. There is a famous sculpture, of course, uh, I think we've talked about this, that depicts the event by Bernini at Our Lady of Victories in Rome. You can go see that sculpture in Rome. It's a controversial sculpture because some people think it looks too erotic or that it's too sensual, but it does follow her own description of what happened. Um, It's a lot to take in. It's interesting, the Carmelites actually celebrate. They actually have a feast day um, of August the 26th where they celebrate the transverberation. I'm going to read to you how she describes it. She says, speaking of the angel, I saw in his hand a long spear of gold, and at the iron's point there seemed to be a little fire. He appeared to me to be thrusting it at times into my heart and to pierce my very entrails. When he drew it out, he seemed to draw them out also and to leave me all on fire. With a great love of God, the pain was so great that it made me moan, and yet so surpassing was the sweetness of this excessive pain that I could not wish to be rid of it. The soul is satisfied now with nothing less than God. The pain is not bodily, but spiritual. Though the body has a share in it, even a large one, it is a caressing of love so sweet which now takes place within the soul and God that I pray God of his goodness to make him experience it who may think that I am lying. So this is her own account of what happened. And there are other saints who have spoken about an angel piercing them. Um, Now, she does give a more sober account in uh, her spiritual testimonies. Let me read that to you. She says, the wound causes the soul to moan, the pain is not in the senses, but in the interior depths of the soul. After, the soul is determined to suffer for God and withdraw from the earth. So sometimes she wrote about it uh, in less dramatic fashion. But I think it's important to say, and I've been there, if you go to Alba de Tormes, they have her incorrupt heart on display. And there you can see the puncture of the spear in her heart. I know this is kind of hard to take in, um, but as Catholics, We have a long tradition of saints who had different experiences in their heart that are um, easy to see after their death. I'm thinking, for example, San Felipe Neri who had an enlarged heart. Um, So saints who go through various things that physically leave a mark on their heart. It's not entirely unusual in our tradition and I think it makes sense because we know our Lord showed his literal heart on fire to Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque and with a lot of those mystical uh, Saints he desired an exchange of hearts so if we really want to be a saint a lot is going to happen in the heart Um, we can't avoid it this is a good reminder now that mansion six is saint Teresa's betrothal and she says he concluded his betrothal with ecstasy the lord joins himself with the soul and then she's going to go on and describe all other kinds of prayer experiences which we can't go over all of them she talks about locutions and she describes locutions as a way that god wakes up the soul and i think god is trying to wake up all of us. St. Paul talks about it quite a bit. It is now time for you to wake from sleep. Who isn't being woken up by the Lord? We all are in our own ways. We know Jesus's best friends fell asleep with him in the garden. So this idea of God waking us up, I don't even think you have to be in mansion six for that to happen. Um... She says, don't act on locutions without consulting someone. Um, She does talk a lot about melancholic souls. These are souls who maybe today we would say are prone to delusions, perhaps prone to mental illness or depression. She says these souls, and she says this is women in particular who have weak imaginations. She's very concerned about women being overly uh, emotional. She says they can be deceived and think they have a prayer experience that they're not having. She says, how do you know the difference? Well, number one, you can't ignore something if it's from the Lord. Uh, When Teresa writes about ecstasy, it's going deep within oneself, going beyond oneself, entering into the orbit of the divine. The goal is the seventh mansion, but in the sixth, Um, the soul starts to have taste of it. The soul also has a flight of the spirit. She says, where you see yourself carried away. Now, Teresa herself was carried away. Literally, she would levitate all the time when she was praying. She was terribly embarrassed. She truly, she had her nuns tie her down because she was so embarrassed. I got to go to the exact spot in Avila where it happened. Many people saw her levitate. Again, We do see this with the saints. Just want to have a reminder here, though. When you're in Mansion 6, Teresa says, you may experience some of these dramatic prayer events, but you may not. She says this isn't for everybody. But I think the Lord really wanted her to write about all of them because someone out there is going to have these experiences. Maybe not all of them, but one or two of them, perhaps. And so it's good to talk about them or, let's say, catalog them. Um, she talks about true rap- raptures versus false raptures, as I said, because women can greatly deceive themselves. So, I'll speak as a woman who um, has a lot of friends. Has I it's I enjoy hanging out with other women, um, and but I know we can tend to be on the dramatic side. So it's good for us to use the eye of reason and check ourselves. And make sure that our experiences were actually experiences from the Lord. Because sometimes we can make ourselves hysterical and it has nothing to do with God. Now, she has her first ecstasy in 1557 while she's living at Incarnacion in Avila. She's 42. Three or four years earlier, she had seen the wounded Christ. She had had her conversion. We've talked about that in a different episode. But she still was not able to center her scattered heart entirely on the Lord. So at the advice of her confessor, she recited the Come Holy Spirit prayer, better known as Veni Creator Spiritus. Um, This prayer is what really helped her um, let go of some of the worldly things she needed to let go of, And at that time, the Lord told her, No longer do I want you to converse with men, but with angels. When the Lord told her those words, they healed her and cured her. And this was her betrothal. I think this is a good reminder. We can hear words from the Lord from Scripture. He doesn't have to say it audibly. But if we hear a word from the Lord in Scripture, it truly can heal us and change our lives. Just a reminder for us, if we're always in the word, he's going to do that for us. This ecstasy is to prepare the soul for the seventh mansion. She also talks about intellectual visions, uh, how the soul gets tremendous understanding. She talks about the sun and the rays. Um, coming over the soul where now the soul understands things of God. She says, even though receiving these favors are wonderful, you need tremendous courage to persevere. She talks a lot about that. She says the little butterfly suffers tremendously because she says, um, we are weak souls. We know we don't deserve these favors. We worry about offending God. It takes courage. Um, she says, she, she's always realistic about the body. She talks about women who are weak and cry over every little thing and exhaust themselves so much that they can't pray. And she says, then the devil has won. So I think it's a good reminder for especially women to watch our tears and to make sure we're taking care of ourselves so that we have time to pray. She describes her own desire to go to a faraway monastery and not ever displease the Lord. But she also wants to work in the vineyard. So she has this contradictory longing. She feels torn in two. But she says she still feels jubilation. Uh, I think this is a saint we always equate with joy. And you see the joy coming up in her writing. In chapter 7. She goes on to talk about how to keep the fire of love burning. What do you do when your prayer life is extremely uh, dry? She says the fire is dying out and someone must blow on the fire so that heat will be given, given off. I think that's very interesting. She says we can't give up. Our prayer life is dry. The fire feels like it's out. She says, keep looking. Don't give up. Be like the bride in the song of songs and keep looking for the Lord. Um, she points to the bodily parts of Jesus. She talks about his pierced hands, his manner of speaking. Um, she's concerned that people over spiritualize. She's arguing with the Neoplatonist of her generation. And she's always reminding us that we need the humanity of Christ to keep us going in our prayer. So, she has really excellent advice about fixing our eyes on a point of his humanity to stay close to him. Um I really like this book. Uh I don't it's 3 volumes. This is The Concept of Women from Sister Prudence Allen. This is volume 3. Um she Credits St. Teresa with embracing a much more Thomistic understanding of the human person um, because unlike a lot of theologians of her time who really emphasized the separation of the soul and the body overemphasizing the spirit she says Teresa remembered that the ultimate goal of transcendence is to integrate the soul and the body So, Teresa does not use the language of self-annihilation, but placing the will in service of relationality with all the give and take that relationality involves. Um, I like how she gives concrete advice to souls here, and I think this is good for any soul, no matter what mansion you're in, to repeat words from scripture you can find a short little phrase from scripture, you know, be not afraid, anything that's speaking to you, I think speaking those over and over to yourself is very effective. In The Way of Perfection, she talks about having God's humanity, for example, right next to you when you pray the Our Father. She, she actually wrote a whole treatise on the Our Father and how you can read that and imagine that the Lord's right next to you. It's a beautiful thing to try. Um, she really wants us to be present to the Lord and then we will find him. We will find him at our side and then before you know it, we will find him inside. But we have to be present to him. And we have to, as she says, enclose ourselves within ourselves. So for Teresa, the decisive event in her mystical experience is the Lord Jesus Christ as both God and man. I'll repeat that. The decisive event in her mystical experience is the Lord Jesus Christ is both God and man. She is really a saint um, casting a light on his humanity and how much we need that for our times. And uh, if you read Sister Prudence Allen's book, it's fascinating how she shows how these Carmelite saints We're really paving the way for John Paul II and his theology of the body. So it is an exciting time for us theologically. In chapter 8, Teresa says, All of a sudden, she sees the Lord at her side, not with a bodily vision, but through a vision of her intellect. This vision illuminates her intellect. Here she says, if this happens, be careful of ignorant confessors. She also says, If someone's having these prayer experiences, you shouldn't say, oh, well, they're not holy enough. She says, sometimes God leads the weakest souls on this path. So she gives us plenty of advice to refrain from judging others. She says, in heaven, we will be surprised at how different God's judgment is from what we can understand here below. May he be praised forever. Moving on to chapter 9, she talks about what she calls imaginative visions. These are opposed to intellectual visions. These are visions where she says it's easier for the devil to meddle. But when they are authentic, she uses the metaphor of a precious stone held inside a reliquary to illustrate how the Lord can give glimpses of himself to a soul. This vision is of his sacred humanity, and it's quick, and it's intense. And she will again, emphasize the human, um, the human aspect of this type of vision, because she felt that was more in conformity with our nature. This ladder of mystical experience reflects Teresa's own history. Um, She says, if the vision is not of the Lord, one is left cold not the beautiful peace that you have after because you can start with a storm like saint paul who's hurled to the ground but then have peace after chapter 10 as she's approaching the last dwelling places those in the deepest center of her being she describes it as kind of like a waiting room the butterfly is hanging in between heaven and earth with an unquenchable thirst Here, Teresa avoids two tendencies she doesn't like when people overemphasize God's otherness. She also doesn't want to overemphasize how he's inside of us like like a pantheism. She avoids both of those and instead gives us a vision of a relationship whereby everything abides in God who in turn encompasses everything. Like the fourth chapter of Ephesians, God is above all, through all, and in all. And that's the magnificent vision that she gives us. Now, as the soul's getting closer to Mansion 7, the soul has to pass through light and fire. Light and fire. Um, And in order to do this, the soul has to have an experience of truth. God's light shining on it. And this butterfly, she says, um, you know, it's just not satisfied. It can't rest. It has great pain. It longs for the Lord so much. It goes on for so many years that it is like a smoking fire. She says this fire is painful, but it can be endured. So we have light and fire. Both of these trials Well, the light isn't a trial, but it's an experience. Both of these experiences have to be passed through. She says the soul is burning up within itself a blow that it is felt from somewhere. And the the soul doesn't understand, well, where is this blow coming from? Now, this blow, she says, is a wound. And it is a wound that happens when the soul starts to think that death will be delayed. The soul is now pierced with a fiery arrow at the thought that the soul will not meet with Christ. This is in a very deep part of the soul. And she says this sudden flash of lightning reduces to dust everything it finds in this earthly nature of ours. And she says at this time, there is a danger of death. The soul experiences a strange solitude. It has such a strong thirst for the Lord alone this is the fire that must be passed before the seventh mansion and you know she says during this time it's like other people are around you but they're kind of like shadows because the soul is suffering so much um these shadows this shadowy experience of the sixth man mansion is going to be transformed into light as we head into the seventh mansion, and I will see you there next time.